Welcome back to another episode of The Peace Production, a podcast from the Organization for World Peace where we look at the biggest issues currently threatening human security. I'm your host, Matt Adamson. This episode looks at the Nile River Delta and how the construction of a new dam is threatening the livelihood of many in the area. Joining me today is our lead analyst, Arthur Jamo, from our policy analysis team who recently published a report into transnational water issues along the Nile and made a series of recommendations for the peaceful resolution of this developing crisis. Arthur, hello and welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me on your show. My pleasure, man. Great to have you here. Arthur, to begin with, I think it would be useful for our listeners if you perhaps ground this report for us and tell us why this report was necessary and why there's such an important issue that um, people should be more aware of. Most certainly. Um, to start off, Matt, it's important to point out to our listeners that the, the Nile River crisis has been present for many years. And what is at the heart of the crisis is a dispute over the equitable use of one of the most important water sources in the world. And for those of who do not know this, um, the Nile is the longest river in the world and serves as a source of water for 11 countries that are located along its path. Now, what we sought to do with our report was not only discuss the, the Ethiopian mega project that triggered the current crisis, but what we also aimed to do was to shed light on the existing issues that have exacerbated tensions between the three countries at the center of this dispute. Uh, and I believe that in doing so, uh, this report plays the important role of providing a more rounded view of the situation in the Nile River in order to provide adequate solutions to issues that have so far remained unresolved. And a failure to adopt such solutions would, in my view, and in the view of the team, lead to further instability in what is at present a troubled region, which has seen its fair share of conflict. I'm sure that most of the listeners will have been aware of uh, the conflicts that have taken place in Libya, uh, Mali, South Sudan, Niger, um, the recent political turmoil in Sudan, which led to the ousting of Omar Bashir, and uh, the internal security concerns in countries like Egypt, which is dealing with an armed insurgency at the moment. So a key, um, a key strand of this report that really stood out to me was, well, it was under everything it really was the GERD, the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, and how this dam, if constructed, could have potentially disastrous consequences for those countries downstream. Arthur, could you tell me a bit more about how the idea of this dam came about and what has sort of happened in the negotiations and construction to date? Of course. Um, the Grand Renaissance uh, Hydroelectric Dam is um, actually the dream project of the previous uh, leader of Ethiopia. Um, and what it aimed to do was to address some of the economic uh, issues that are currently affecting Ethiopia. Um, when did it come about? It came about in 2011, to be exact. And uh, it was announced that the project would begin, the construction to, of, the, of the, the dam itself would begin in 2011 and be completed in 2020. However, uh, this news wasn't well received by Egypt and Sudan, which are located further downstream from Ethiopia. And one of the key arguments was that the construction and eventual filling up of the dam would affect the flow of the water downstream and potentially put at risk 
um, people's livelihood, um, the ability of Egypt and Sudan to actually continue to use water for irrigation um, and for the other agricultural activities that, uh, that those countries rely upon. Now, it's important before we proceed to discuss um, why this is such a contentious issue, why the construction of a dam is such a contentious issue. Both Egypt and Sudan in uh, the colonial period uh, were signatories of two agreements which allocated certain rights exclusively to them. These would specifically be an agreement which was signed in 1929 and another agreement which was signed in 1959. And what these, these agreements did was grant them veto rights over the future use of this water resource. And this wasn't the case in the decades that uh, preceded the, the decision by Ethiopia to commence this uh, mega project. And um, what I should point out is that in around 2013, um, you, we could see an escalation in, in the type of rhetoric and accusations and jingoistic uh, language being thrown around by the governments of Egypt and Ethiopia. And an example of such would be when Egyptian officials stated publicly that if Ethiopia took unilateral action to impede or affect the flow of the Nile River, there would be no alternative for the Egyptians except for the use of force. Now Sudan, on the other hand, has largely been caught in the middle of the dispute, even though at times it is sided with one, one country over the other, depending on what actual benefits it saw for itself. Quite interesting that you touch yes. on um, those historical to historical agreements, because historically Egypt and Sudan would have been regarded as the more powerful countries in this relationship, but we're seeing Ethiopia really develop and step forward over recent years. And this dam is really the next next phase in Ethiopia's development plans, which see them planning a 45% increase in the area of irrigated land and a four times increase in the country's electricity generating capacity. So you might be seeing a bit of a transition in the way these countries relate to each other. In terms of common issues, Arthur, what do you see as these sort of these common threads that, that these countries in the Nile River Delta are really facing as, as pressing issues at the moment? The agricultural land is under increasing threats due to climate change. And these warming temperatures as a result of climate change um, are leading to increased droughts, which are drying up the river. Um, they are leading to rising sea levels and soil uh, salination, salinization. And this is quite worrying when countries like Egypt, for example, require or use the Nile's water for 90% of their water needs. And uh, what makes this even more troubling is that the population of Egypt currently stands at 98 million. However, by 2050, that is supposed to see an increase of 60 million. With the GRD, that's expected to even exacerbate. And um, when we talk about things like uh, salinization, we, we, we should we should, re we should uh, know that it risks affecting at least 15% of the agricultural land in the Nile Delta, which would immediately impact crops such as rice, tomatoes, and wheat. And uh, I think another uh, important issue or another threat 
to the Nile River Delta is a growing population because as things currently stand, most of the countries in the Nile Basin uh, can be accused of not having efficient irrigation methods. And to top it off, there is a problem such as water pollution or a lack of um, better alternatives to the Nile River's water. So for example, by what I mean by alternative sources is uh, groundwater or better water, water uh, storage systems or even waste treatment. Quite interesting that you touch on the fact that water is such a common issue for these countries and access to water is really important through the way in which many people there live and the way these economies work. Um, so while the GERD work might have substantial benefits for Ethiopia, that's going to look to be far outweighed by the detrimental effects that will be faced by countries such as Egypt and Sudan. But these water issues have been quite persistent over the, over the years. Um, have there been any sorts of um, regimes that have been tried in the past to allow these countries to work together on water issues? And if so, why haven't these worked? And how have we got to where we are today um, through these regimes? Despite having to balance uh, competing political and strategic interests, these countries have attempted to resolve the issue of uh, water use through several initiatives, basin-wide initiatives or regimes, which we've listed in the report. Um, in most cases, these regimes predate the current crisis relating to the Grand Renaissance Dam. And uh, all of this explains why, except for the 2015 Nile Agreement on the Principles on the Grand Renaissance Dam, they're all focused on the wider participation of all basin states. And uh, these, should, these regimes should be seen as part of a process that um, sees all of these countries coming together to try to find long and meaningful uh, solutions to, to, to water crisis. Now, the first of these regimes is the Hydromet project, which ran from 1967 to 1993. Its central objective was to better equip, equip these countries to prepare and handle heavy flooding in the, the Great Lakes region. And what it sought to do was to help these countries collect uh, hydrometeorological data and to also help them study the hydraulics, the hydrology, and the meteorology of the Upper Nile Basin. But despite all of its good intentions, um, the hydromet was seen to have failed since it did not include all basin states. Another blot on its record is the fact that it failed to address issues such as the fair and equitable allocation of the river's waters. And these are two negatives that Hydromet shares with one of its successors, which is the, the UNDUGU, or UNDUGU. And UNDUGU, which happens to stand for brotherhood in Swahili, was formed at Egypt's request and has been seen by others in the region as, uh, as an instrument for Egypt to exercise its hegemonic influence. Uh, despite its efforts to promote inter interdependence among the, the member states, which is something we should all be hoping. It's also notable that for the fact that Ethiopia chose not to participate as an active member and opted for observer status instead. The other initiatives that followed Hydromet, namely Teco Nile which, and the Nile Basin Initiative, the Entebbe Agreement or the Nile Agreement on the Principles for 
the GRD or the Grand Renaissance Dam, uh, all built and improved upon Hydromet's efforts at basin-wide cooperation. All of these, except for the Nile Agreement on the principles of the Grand Renaissance Dam, focused on the wider participation of all basin countries, not only the three countries at the heart of the current crisis. Now, um, it's important for me to discuss Tekonal. And uh, what I should point out that while it promoted the, uh, an integrated and sustainable use of the river's uh, resources, it was equally important for the fact that it also sought to determine the equitable entitlement of each riparian state to the use of the Nile waters. And uh, equally important is the fact that it led to the creation of uh, one of its successor um, initiatives, which is the Nile Basin Initiative uh, from 1999. And uh, one of the things that it inherited was an increased level of cooperation. So, yeah, they touch on a really um, poignant theme throughout these previous initiatives that a real stumbling block has been getting buy-in and the other, well, all countries in the basin to be active members. When you step us through the GERD, it's come up with a set of principles. Would you be able to tell us what these are and explain why these are perhaps different and could perhaps lead to a better result than the um, than the previous um, initiatives? Um, the principles for the Grand Renaissance Dam are part of the, the cooperation agreement reached by Egypt, Ethiopia, and Sudan. And what, they, what, it, what these principles did was they helped to address some of the concerns held by mainly Egypt over the potential effects of the, the mega project and its uh, potential effect to access downstream in both Sudan and Egypt. And um, in total, there are 10 principles, and each of them reads out as follows. Firstly, you have the principle of cooperation, under which uh, the states commit to cooperation based on mutual benefits, common understanding, win-win, uh, and good faith towards one uh, towards one another, and um, and uh, this marks a, a departure from from previous uh, agreements, where what you saw was um, heightened distrust between the the, the, the basin countries. Some of them feared that they would be uh, treated unfavorably uh, based on their their status, um, and also the fears of Egypt's um, big influence in the region. Now, uh, that leads me to the second principle, and that's the principle of development, sustainability, and regional integration. Um, and it pretty much is concerned with, uh, with how water power is going to be generated, um, uh, whether there's going to be a promotion of transboundary cooperation between the, the countries, and the hope is that it will lead to significant um, economic development, and regional integration. Now, the third uh, principle is the principle of equitable and reasonable utilization of the Nile's waters, uh, where the three st states commit to share water resources within their borders equitably. Uh, then we have the principle, the fourth principle, which is the principle of not occasioning significant harm. Uh, what the three states sought to do here 
was to commit appropriate actions to ensure that no one state causes harm to the process of use, utilizing the Nile, the Nile waters. Um, and that I think would refer to exactly what, we, what we've been talking about at the, at the heart of this crisis, which is Ethiopia's decision to first build the dam and to fill it up at a rate which is seen as unfavorable to the other countries. Now we have, um, up next we have the, the fifth principle. And this principle um, asks for all countries to liaise on, on the first filling of the dam, which is set to begin in 2020. And uh, the states are expected to cooperate and commit to the spirit of the agreement that they, they signed. Now the sixth principle, which is the principle of confidence building, is uh, one where the states commit or prioritize uh, uh, downstream states when selling excess power. And I think in this case would be, uh, in, the emphasis would be for Ethiopia to follow through on that, to sell some of its excess power that is generated. Uh, now we have the seventh principle, which is the principle of exchanging data and information. And the states here are expected to interact in good faith, uh, to provide data to one another, and to share information wherever necessary. Uh, principle number eight concerns um, dam safety, where the states, or rather Egypt and Sudan, uh, in good faith, uh, try to appreciate the effort by Ethiopia and uh, try to encourage it to implement uh, the agreed safety measures that they've, uh, that they've signed into place. Now, the ninth uh, uh, principle concerns territorial integrity and sovereignty. And here, the states cooperate in the context of territorial integrity, uh, sovereign equality, good faith, and mutual benefit in order to get optimal use as well as adequate protection of the Nile River's water resources. And now we have the, the final principle, the tenth one, or interpreting some parts of this agreement uh, peacefully via negotiation or discussion in line with the principle of good faith, which is a theme that is, um, that is uh, often, um, that, that is present throughout the whole agreement. So these are some quite um, ambitious principles that have been put forward in this agreement. And I guess the onus is really going to be on future leaders to make sure that the spirit of these principles is realized through their actions is what we see with the GERD is it's not going to be something that happens over the short term and that's the end of it. This is going to be a continuing long-term relationship, particularly over these, this dam and particularly over the, the impacts of hydroelectric generation and water usage downstream. Um, Arthur, your report makes a series of recommendations to help improve the situation in the Nile Delta, but what is the number one recommendation that you make in your report that would allow countries to sustainably manage water usage along the Nile River? An approach that I would suggest um, is one in which uh, these countries try to establish coordinated efforts and benefits for all, uh, all of the, 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 the population or the people who live along the Nile River. And this approach would require Egypt to 
desecuritize its policy regarding the Nile River, while also requiring Ethiopia to recognize Egypt's need for water too, and to use its large dam for the regulation of the Nile, but not its blockage. Moreover, uh, in my view, it's imperative that Egypt, Ethiopia, and Sudan follow up their upcoming talks, which are set to take place um, on the 13th of January, 2020, by illustrating the benefits associated with basin-based development. Part of these discussions should involve the harmonization of policies and legislation on the use, development, protection, conservation, and management of transboundary or shared water and related resources. They should also develop water protocols for the implementation of this policy. This policy should uh, respond to issues that arise as a result of sharing the Nile River between countries with different social and economic conditions, in my view. Uh, there's also space for, and uh, by outside actors, I would refer specifically to the African Union and uh, other African regional economic communities. And uh, what they could do is try to formalize the elaboration of uh, an international African charter of waters that could override colonial-based laws, like the ones that I mentioned earlier, and uh, attempt to reduce the threat of water conflicts between these three states. Yeah, I agree that such a body is necessary because that, that, that they have these colonial laws still in place is quite bizarre to me, particularly um, given the amount of issues that we've seen um, in regards to water usage in the area. Um, Arthur, what do you see as the most likely outcome of the Nile water crisis? Um, are you optimistic? Great question. Based on how the rhetoric uh, between the three toned down significantly in recent years, I'm somewhat, op somewhat optimistic. And um, this is uh, partly informed by the fact that the leaders of, of, of the three countries have sought to maintain constructive dialogue amongst themselves in recent years. Um, and I, for one, predict a situation in which the dam is completely uh, completed successfully in issue over equitable water use and the speed of the filling of the actual dam's reservoir. I also see Egypt, Ethiopia pursue its economic development alongside countries such as Kenya and Uganda, which have already signed deals to receive a substantial amount of energy once the project is completed. However, with greater involvement by countries such as the U.S., which has offered to mediate in, in this crisis, um, I think we can be positive and expect to see more discussions taking place over the next month and year, in which all sides work, out, work to resolve this matter in a much more urgent manner than what we've been accustomed to over the past four years, where we've seen very little movement and uh, a postponement of discussion while the matter is becoming more urgent due to the environmental issues that are affecting the river and uh, the, the water, man water management uh, issues as well. I agree and I hope you're right because the consequences of this not being resolved in a way that benefits all the countries in the Nile River Delta is really going to be quite catastrophic should that arise um so after thank you very much for joining me today it's been great to have you on and dive a bit deeper into this report that your team has written thank you it was really a pleasure to speak with you matt on such an important topic and uh 
I hope to participate in future future podcasts. Uh, with well, thank you, mate. It'd be great to have you back on. Um, and a big thank you to the co-authors of the Nile Water Crisis Report, Ingrid Valadaris, Olawaya Adamola, uh, Arthur Jamo, and the late Jared Hatton. This episode is produced by the Social Media Division of the Organization for World Peace. If you like what you're hearing, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating. Or otherwise, you can send us an email, admin at the OWP.org. I'm Matt Adamson. See you next time.